This is Get a Real Job, the podcast devoted to people who choose risk over safe bets, who pursue their passion against all odds and are doing what they want, how they want, despite people and sometimes the voices in their own heads telling them they're nuts. When the field that I wanted to work in didn't exist, I created it. The only thing you have to decide is how hard you want to work. I really never went into the design of the restaurant of not succeeding. One way or another, I was going to succeed. I'm your host, Dan Bova, editorial director of entrepreneur.com. Thanks for listening. And now, get a real job. Today's guest works side by side with Yoda, Iron Man, and more than one Disney princess on a daily basis. Allison Semino is the CEO, founder, and designer of Rock Love, a jewelry company that started small and has landed licensing deals with some of the biggest entertainment companies on the planet. And that is not an exaggeration. We're going to talk about creativity, what it's like to work with billion dollar brands, and maybe if I'm lucky, I'll score a Mandalorian pinky ring by the end of our chat. Welcome, Allison. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on the Get a Real Job series. Oh, cool. Well, very cool to talk to you. And I want to, uh, you know, tell everyone just out front, I think you will do a much better job of describing your jewelry, but this isn't like kid stuff. This is like, this is real, very cool, uh, very artistic uh, looking jewelry. Again, I'm, I'm searching for words because I'm obviously not an expert by any means on jewelry, but I'd love to hear you kind of explain what it is you do. Absolutely. So Rock Love is adult jewelry and I am the owner and the designer and it used to be a one woman show. So I was physically the craftsperson too. And the pieces are sometimes inspired by the properties, all officially licensed. Sometimes they are replicas of pieces seen on screen, worn by the characters. And then other times I'm actually making the props, working with prop masters. And so the pieces you are seeing on the big screen are made by myself and Rock Love. So there's lots of different ways that we've been able to work in licensing so that the fan can wear a piece of jewelry that is effectively a talisman of the character, the world, the fandom that they love. That's a, and uh, see, I knew you would do a better job explaining it than I would. So that's uh, so thanks for doing that. Um, you know, obviously, love to talk to you. We'll we'll ask you a lot about working with Disney and Marvel and DC and all these kinds of crazy huge companies. Um, but you know, you didn't you didn't start there day one. So I'm uh, wondering if people could if you could give people a little bit of your origin story. Like, how did you get to this spot? It was definitely a winding path. I, I at no point did I ever say, I want to make Disney princess jewelry. This is my life goal. You know, so I started out, um, originally I was a violinist. I thought I was going to be a musician mm. and, uh, I had always loved jewelry, but never thought of it as a career path. Uh, and it wasn't until I was in college, I went to Oberlin because it has an excellent conservatory and, uh, art program, very versatile school. And I had a nose ring and I put in this beautiful golden diamond nose ring supposed to be, you know, a, a premium quality. And I had a horrible allergic reaction 
Mm. I looked like Quasimodo. It was very traumatic. Oh, man. Oh, and um, I learned that I had this metal allergy. And as soon as that experience happened, I decided I wanted to uh, go abroad to Florence, Italy to do a old style apprenticeship and make my own jewelry so that any metal I was putting on my body, I could, I could trust the quality mm. and, and never have that kind of horrible allergic reaction again. And that became a cornerstone for rock love. Uh, making metals was how I solved my own personal problem. But in fact, it solves for a lot of people who suffer from those same metal allergies. Wow. So I went off to Florence and learned, uh, my specialty is lost wax casting, so very sculptural style. And then um, I came back and found a job in the Diamond District in New York City. So that's why I'm based in New York. And pretty soon I was making my own pieces on the side, just inspired by world travel and history, uh, art history, but also historical jewelry techniques. And um, it was pretty soon that I went full time with my own jewelry line, left the Diamond District job and uh, started off making this Rock Love line. But none of it was licensed things. It was just for boutiques with this kind of rock and roll style. And um, it wasn't until I started working with bands and authors that I had run into and met in um, in really in vending, like uh, live events like Ink and Iron in uh, in LA and Long Beach. And uh, I used to do Viva Las Vegas, the Rockabilly Weekenders in Las Vegas. Nice. I love myself some vintage cars and, you know, some <laughs> care do. And, uh, and so working with bands uh, and authors, we created this idea of uh, Rockland would make a unique piece of merchandise for them. And then they would sell it to their fans as an expansion of a category of merchandise instead of just t-shirts and, you know, stickers and, uh, and CDs at that point. And the proceeds would go to something beneficial. So it was maybe recording time. Or at one point I worked with an author who was donating it to her local library who was building a new wing. So the fans were able to have this awesome piece of jewelry representative of the artists they love. But at the same time, they knew that the proceeds were going to something that benefited that artist too, uh, or a philanthropy of that artist's choice that was was close to their heart and their inspirations. And that thusly was was my first licensing without wow. even really planning to go down that path. That's uh, so uh, so that's incredible. And um, you know, are are you? Just personality-wise, you know, does it make sense that that's how it happened for you? Like, were you kind of person who's like searching and things happen, and you go, "Yeah, I'll try that, and I'll try this," or, or did you? It doesn't sound sound like you didn't have a mapped out plan. There, there was no plan. It did come very instinctually. Mm. Um, the idea of collaboration was where this all started. This idea of working together and figuring out something cool and creative and new. And I do believe that that has been a theme through my career, just this interest in collaborating to yeah. make something unique. And whether it's collaborating with a single person or creating something in collaboration with an entire studio, right? Um, you know, that's, that's still what's happening with licensing. Uh, and where we land for the final product. 
So how can you can you talk about the uh you know I'll, I'll let you pick one of the you know whether it's Star Wars or you know Marvel or whichever amazing company you're working with can you describe what that process is like you know is there back and forth you know you say it's it's collaborative so I'm just curious how that goes Well fortunately I don't have to choose between my favorite children because I don't think that I could uh, between like, you know, Star Wars is such a different world, but then I was born in the eighties. So I'm a Disney child. You know, I learned what it meant to be uh, a, a honest and hardworking and, and open person from those Disney princesses, even mm. though, you know, I'm not really the type that sits and wait for my prince, but yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely am the headstrong Ariel or the uh, dedication of Mulan type of thing. Right, right. Um, cool. Princess Tiana is my favorite because she worked <laughs> hard. She's a fellow entrepreneur. But, uh, but so um, licensing, at least uh, from what my experience has been, is, is pretty similar across the different uh, studios and franchises. Um, I've been very uh, fortunate that they have trusted me and I don't have to design what they they want me to. I get to propose my own ideas, follow my own inspiration, um, and give them that initial pitch. Mm. And that's when the collaboration starts, where uh, we decide what pieces we think will be most successful, if there's any kind of uh, feedback they can give me or ideas. For example, we want to brainstorm a really... Uh, inspiring quote that's going to be engraved on the back of a piece. Right. Um, they also are, once uh, we are sculpting the piece, they are very involved in making sure that the the quality of the character and the essence of the character is upheld. Mm. So, for example, Pokemon is extremely diligent because this character means so much to millions yeah. of people globally. It has to look correct. Right. So, um, so that's where a lot of the collaboration happens. You know, it, it's feedback and it's tweaks. And I mean, really it's corrections, it's red lines all over our sculpts. And, you know, my heart stops because I see just a million crisscrosses over so much more work to do. Uh, but it is always for the greater good. And we end up with a more accurate representation mm. of the final product. And then it continues into um, product descriptions. Just this morning before this call, I was uh, I was working back and forth with Star Wars for the product descriptions because we want to represent canon, you know, in these pieces where we're describing this new kyber crystal and and what that is and what it what its important is uh, importance is to the Star Wars universe. Um, and making sure that we are representing that fandom accurately. So every step of the way is a collaboration mm. and, uh, and communication has certainly been key for, for a um, synergetic relationship with these very, very large and powerful companies. Uh, uh, so <laughs> are you, um, you know, can you describe what it's like maybe to start off relationships with something uh, like that, that you describe. I mean, I'm thinking about it and I'm just imagining walking into, you know, 
Star Wars headquarters or whatever it is and just being like completely overwhelmed? Like, how did you sort of deal with that initially and how has the relationship developed? So it started out with um, with some of the smaller, I dare say, hope they're not listening. Uh, so for example, I started out with uh, Star Trek being one of the first, which is CBS, and um, then also uh, Showtime and Stars and creating pieces uh, for Star Trek and Twin Peaks and Penny Dreadful. And these are studios that are, I personally feel a little less intimidating than mm. the ilk of Disney. Yeah. Um, also, their offices look a little bit more normal, though I absolutely freaked out and was very <laughs> excited to stop everything and go sit in Captain Picard's chair, which is in the <laughs> office. Uh, and then for Star Wars and um, Star Wars, I actually haven't been to their offices there. They're in a different part of the West Coast, but Disney, that is a whole campus. And yeah. your eyeballs are just venturing everywhere. And you're right play it cool. Um, but there's just so much to see, but I definitely feel that it's important to just be yourself. And Mm -hmm. if you're gagging over something awesome, then just express that, you know, you're a fan, you're meant to be a fan. So since your product, so, um, and they're working there for a reason too. So they're fans, right. Right. You can nerd out a little bit about uh, the fact that there's some awesome props sitting over there so yeah yeah um, yeah so it it can be intimidating but leaning into your enthusiasm just endears you to these very jaded uh uh, consumer products people so yeah uh, yeah i think it's really important to to not try and put on false airs or Mm. pretend that you're some big big badass that you know, you're, you got in the door, you've already sold them. So yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. I love that. Um, can you talk a little bit about, so, I mean, all of your, your training and your studies, you know, seem to have been on the creative side. So, uh, but you're also the CEO of a company. So, you know, how does that balance out? Did you, did you learn that as you went or did you have a background in business as well? How how did that all go? So I did not study business. um, And in an old world apprenticeship in Florence, you are not even speaking English, much less learning how to, you know, make line sheets or, or catalogs or royalty reports. So um, a lot of it was on the fly, but I also realized pretty quickly that I was more of an instinctual business person. And in the beginning, I would actually struggle with that. Uh, It was a bit of a, you know, in my dark moments, I felt like I was a better business person than an artist. Mm. Uh, And then eventually, and somewhat recently, I feel like I've stepped into being that designer and and feeling like I can deserve and claim that title. and then as as we've gained more employees, uh, feeling like I could claim that CEO title because that really does feel like it comes with management skills and experience. Yeah. Um, I always ask uh I always ask people who uh you know are involved in a creative endeavor and that involves, you know, a growing staff, 
you know, originally you have an idea, you see it in your head, you sketch it, and then you're actually doing it. And so what, how have you transitioned to sort of sharing that idea and then letting someone else sort of take it and run or, or how does it work? Maybe it doesn't work that way. It was definitely one of the best things that I've ever done of hiring senior management. I, I retained control over too many things for far too long because rock love is bootstrapped. Mm. And so I started with that pinch penny mentality and never really lost it. And yeah, I'm sure that that has set me up for success in many ways, but at the same time, I was not ready to uh, hire people that were big ticket salaries because, you know, I was just trying to be frugal and hiring somebody that is truly talented and uh, multifaceted and capable is such a big step because you think of it in, in financial terms, but truly the amount of effort and uh, time saved and emotional catharsis of having a team member that you can trust yeah. is absolutely worth it. Um, so for example, our, our COO uh, is just fantastic. And I was suddenly able to focus on being more creative. So it also increased our productivity. Mm. Um, and since then, uh, the team members that we've added have all been management level so that they could take ownership over their own uh, categories. And that's been huge because while we're still all terribly overwhelmed and we need like five more people, if we could afford it kind of thing and figure out how to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how to spend the time looking for qualified talent and include them, you know, there's, there's still challenges there and we could benefit from, from more help. But um, that was just huge for me. And I wish that I had done so a couple years sooner because I really, um, once you're a team and sharing the burden, there, there's really such a different mentality in how you run your business and what you're able to let go of and then focus on what you're truly skilled at while other people are focusing on what they are best at. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, do you remember uh, the first time you saw one of your pieces on screen and how did that feel? More coming up from our guests, but first, a word from our sponsor. Being a small business owner can be so fulfilling, rewarding, and let's be honest, a little scary from time to time. Doing your own thing and being your own boss is great, but sometimes it can make you feel like you're all alone, especially when things aren't going so great. Well, the folks at State Farm want you to know you aren't alone. State Farm has thousands of agents who are small business owners too, so they know what it takes to protect everything you work so hard for. State Farm has an assortment of insurance policies for small businesses that can be tailored to your needs. So whether you're a hairstylist, an electrician, or a florist, State Farm agents are ready to help. Learn more and find an agent today at statefarm.com slash smallbusiness. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This episode of Get a Real Job is presented by State Farm. And we're back. There's one in particular that is relatively recent. Uh, the very first one, um, because there was, you know, jewelry in magazines and yeah, still like reading magazines. Uh, 
and on celebrities that were in the magazines. But on screen, the very first ones was jewelry that was on HBO's True Blood. Uh, they mm-hmm. wore rock club in that. And that was very exciting. And um, I have all of these screenshots of low resolution because this was at, yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least a decade ago. Um, but most recently, I worked with uh, the very talented props department for Star Trek Picard, which mm. is the new Star Trek series. And I created with them the, the physical products, the physical jewelry that's worn on screen. And Sir Patrick Stewart has been my captain since I was seven. And so he's holding my necklace for the, the huge part of the, the first season. It's a, it's a giant plot point and he's holding it and I'm crying. And my husband is just taking videos of me while laughing. And, um, <laughs> And I'm just watching my jewelry. And uh, and then we sent the video off to my father because he was the one that I used to watch Star Trek with starting when I was seven. And so oh my God. Um, it was it was a very impactful moment for oh, me. It wow. wasn't the series, it's not the most famous, but um, yeah, Sir Patrick Stewart holding my jewelry gets me all worked <laughs> up even just telling the story. I know. <laughs> That's incredible. Wow. Wow. What a moment. That's, that's so awesome. Oh my God. I, I, I can't even imagine what that must've been like. So, uh, very validating, I'm sure. And just probably, uh, were you thinking about when you were watching Star Trek and just imagining that moment happening, you know, so many years later, I I can't imagine what that was like. Now I just imagine someday being able to run into him at a con and be like, I made that <laughs> Please may I take a picture with you and send it to my father. Right, right. So do you have, uh, is there a white whale out there for you? Is there a, a show or a particular character or actor that you're dying, dying, dying to make something for? So <laughs> I have two, two childhood heroes. Um, I, I've always been a tomboy, so I always related the most to the rogue, rough and tumble kind of scallywag heroes. So um, uh, Indiana Jones, Mm. Han Solo, those were my heroes. I did not understand the concept of actors at that point. So I thought they were two different people and did not understand that (laughs) was the actor. Um, So uh, those were who I wanted to be. You know, that was that Indiana Jones was who I wanted to be. And then separately, Sir Patrick Stewart as Picard, because he has such an elegance and poise. And uh, when I look back at it now, I realize that's the kind of leader I wanted to be. So from a person and a personality, Indiana Jones, you know, he, he does what's right. It's supposed to be in a museum, you know, he's, <laughs> he's a lot of integrity, but is still a rogue and an adventurer. And then Sir Patrick Stewart as Captain Picard has um, an understanding and a elegance and uh, a openness um, and is an inspiring leader. And that's my kind of business persona. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, I have, officially gotten the license accepted for Indiana Jones jewelry. Wow. Um, 
I wow. haven't really told anybody about that yet uh, because I literally got the contract this week. So, oh my God. Uh, so, I guess surprise, Dan. <laughs> uh, but Indiana Jones jewelry, that is my other like childhood. Wow. Um, so, starting out with some of the, the props that I've always wished that I could have, and now I'm going to be the one that makes them, which is wow. Uh, is that going to be like the headpiece on the staff, you know, that the guy burns into? Oh, yeah. That, that, <laughs> all of it. All of it. Uh, idol. I, I am ready to make it all. Oh, my God. I'm dreaming well, of that. Well, you're going to make me cry because that that's my childhood. I used to wear like my grandfather's fedora and pretend I was Indiana Jones. So that's uh, that's pretty awesome. I, uh, wow. And Harrison Ford in his regular days they, he wears an earring right so maybe you can make him a special uh, earring for, for when he's out on the town i was just thinking that there's there's a lot of movies out there and some of the time i was not looking at the earrings especially, <laughs> especially that second indiana jones right temple of doom Woo-hoo! <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so, uh, you know, what do you think it's been about? I mean, obviously, the the pop culture angle uh, is a huge differentiator for your jewelry line. You know, there's a lot of people who do jewelry uh, or want to do it. And what would you, you know, what would you give uh, advice to people who are just kind of starting out? Um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of competition out there. How how would you advise people to sort of when they're starting something new? So I definitely have a few different pieces of advice, depending on what you're doing. Um, The first one being that I am a fan of these properties and I only make jewelry for things that I'm a fan of. And that's part of what has made Rockcliffe succeed and me as a a designer and and front person for the company um, mesh so well with the licenses and the, and the people making the important decisions, you know, that sincerity has brought me far. And so I think that anybody that is looking to make a brand, whether it is jewelry related or extremely different, it has to come from a point of sincerity and not chasing the money. Mm. You know, because you think that it's going to fill a, a gap, but if you don't have a personal connection to that need, uh, and an authenticity, then I don't think it's the right path. It has to be something that you truly cannot imagine waking up and not doing. Mm. It needs to be what drives you on the bad days uh, rather than thinking that it's it's just, oh, hey, I haven't seen this thing yet and uh, maybe it'll make me some dollars. Right. So that level of sincerity in what business you are pursuing is absolutely paramount because mm. like I said, if there are so many days that are stressful and overwhelming that you have to be doing it because you are passionate about it. Otherwise you will not be able to get through those bad days. That's great. That's, that's incredible advice. Um, so you're saying when you are running your own company, when your own boss, that there's days that are stressful. I know I, it's the dirty <laughs> secret. so there are days that are stressful and um there are days that you are of course questioning why why don't you just have a nine to five with great insurance you can clock out and then go have your 
you know, five o'clock cocktail and be done with it and never look at your emails over the weekend. Um, but obviously that is not the life that entrepreneurs choose. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, the, the other piece of advice is beyond the, the passion is to really just keep plugging away. Like mm. if you're starting, there's a lot of trying to figure out what you're going to do and, and perfecting and you get paralysis and you don't put the work out there. Uh, and really you can't, you can't evolve and grow if you don't just start and, and, you know, submit that thing or put that art into the world or, uh, you know, do that first small exposure, whatever it is, you have to take the first step because you have to plug away and have mm. those good days and the bad days to grow and evolve. And uh, just like any artist, a business is still feeling out who you are, your own voice, your voice is a leader, your voice is a brand. Mm. Uh, and that can only come with experience. Yeah. So that part too, you know, you're going to have your bad days or the stressful days and continuing to learn how to communicate with your team when you're not at your best uh, or something goes wrong is what brings you on the path in order to become a stronger, better business and a stronger, better uh, business owner. That's great. That's, that's, that's incredible advice. Have you, um, I'm wondering over the, uh, over the course of your career, has there been a mentor or have you read a book or seen a Ted talk or something that really sort of like flipped the switch in your brain that made you think like, Oh, we could do it that way. Or just something that really changed the way you think about your approach to business. There's not any light bulb moment that I can think of. Um, I do definitely have not, not a singular mentor, but I have various people over my career who have been, uh, mentor relationships. And I think that part is huge. And I try to be a mentor to other mm -hmm. people as, as a way to give back, but also because it's, it's thrilling to, you know, talk business and hear what people are up to and, and it inspires you. And maybe you come up with something creative for your own business when you're, when you're vibing and sharing inspiration. Um, so I, I truly do value the mentor mentee relationship. I think that that's kind of circling back to our original sincerity where you don't need to quote, fake it till you make it. You mm. can be who you are, sincere and authentic and, um, and ask for help. I absolutely asked for help because I didn't have this business background. And there are some great resources specific to licensing online, uh, spe specifically licensing global and licensing university. If anybody listening is here for licensing, uh, but just in general, there's so many different terms, different terminology that changes over company culture. So what one company says as, as vertical might be OEM for someone else or white label for someone else. Mm -hmm. you know, in the beginning, I didn't know that. So I was honest and, and asked for help. And I think that it's important to remember that asking for help does not mean you're helpless and it's not a sign of weakness. Um, so while I didn't have a singular moment of mentor or podcast, there were many moments where people were um, helpful to me and did not uh, 
you know, did not fault me for showing, showing humbleness and, and honesty that yeah. I had questions. And now there are points where they're coming to me, asking me to do licensed products for them. And can I help with this? And I'm like, wow, yeah, absolutely. You helped me when I, when I was a, a, a yeah. young, <laughs> young on this scene. So yeah, I think that, that always, um, always being open about what you don't know. Uh, I think that's amazing advice. And I, I've heard that from uh, a lot of different people who have found success in a lot of different fields. Uh, but uh, that's a common thread. Just they asked a million questions to people. And there's a lot of people out there that are are really happy to share what they know. Um, so uh, if you could find those people, I, I think that's amazing advice. Don't, don't, don't be shy about that. Um, I think it's much worse to fake it, as you say, and then really show that you don't know what you're doing than just uh, ask a simple question and, and get on the right path. Um, so one thing that people uh, listening to this can't see, but I admire because I'm uh, similar, is you got an old school calendar hanging behind you with scribbles all over it of uh, all the things you have to do. I, I'm very much the same way. If I don't write it down on something, uh, it, it'll disappear in my brain. Yeah, I have a, I have a, it is a six foot calendar. I have a step stool so I can reach. Yeah, it is not a small calendar. <laughs> but um, I am both digital and manual, very old school, because sometimes purging thoughts on post-its rather than, you know, signing into Asana, Teams, you know, we use a lot of programs yeah. um, and workflows and those are all, all great. Uh, but there is definitely a satisfaction to having a file folder as backup and um, yeah, yeah. My, looking at my <laughs> big ass calendar looming over <laughs> uh, and various colors of post-its everywhere. So that's great. That's I, great. I do. There's just too many things to hold in your head and um, writing them down is a way to make space so that there's room for new ideas to come in. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to let you go because uh, I've kept you uh, for a while here and uh, you're by the looks of that calendar, you're a busy person. Uh, but I do want to ask just, you know, about that, the, the creativity part of, of your, of your business. Um, are you setting aside creative time? Are you let, do ideas come to you when you least expect it? Like, how do you, how do you make time for that? How do you kind of keep your brain open to that part of it while you're dealing with the business? That's funny because that's back to these, back to my post-its. Uh, so I have this theory that we are so connected, right? We're always watching things. We're always listening to podcasts and we're always uh, talking to our team and checking our emails. And it's the moments when we're not connected that we have some really great ideas, you know, that when there's a breath. So washing the dishes or uh, before you're going to bed and you're just quiet in bed. Or for me, one of the biggest ones is in the shower because I can't hold a phone when I'm in the shower. Right. So I'm spacing out. And that is when some of the best ideas come. So making sure that while it is inspirational to surround ourselves with wise words and, and 
you know, business gurus, having quiet moments where you're not imbibing content Mm -hmm. is really uh, very important so that your brain has a moment to, um, you know, puzzle together its own thoughts and words. So I do try and do that. It just means that I I get to take extra long showers and pretend like it's a benefit to the business, right? And and then, yeah, surrounding yourself with inspiring things or inspiring people, Mm. people that are, are full of great ideas or doing the things that you love, um, activities that you love that have nothing to do with business. Uh, so yeah, that's usually how I try. I don't have a lot of other creative, um, creative hobbies because most of my creativity is just, I'm obsessed with jewelry at all times. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I have a few, a few little things that I, that I love to do. And usually some of the best ideas happen after I have purged myself with business thoughts and I'm focusing on something entirely different. That's great. That's great. Well, Allison, it's been really awesome talking to you and learning about all this and your your site, uh, rocklove.com, correct? Yes, rocklove. uh, rocklove.com. I would definitely <laughs> suggest anyone who's a super fan of any of these things, and there's a ton more than even that I mentioned, but really, really cool stuff. It's uh, uh, for any fan, uh, you'll, you'll be, really be psyched to see what she's uh, designed and come up with. So congratulations on this. This is, this is really amazing and I'm sure incredibly inspiring to people. So thanks for, thanks for sharing it. Thanks for having me, Dan. And uh, I'll be uh, hitting you up when I've got that Indiana Jones jewelry. Yes, please, please. And that Mandalorian pinky ring. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. All right. Great talking to you. That's our episode, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. Get a Real Job comes out every Tuesday. So be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you harvest your favorite podcasts. Leave us a review. Give us a share. Don't make me beg people. Go to entrepreneur.com for new episodes of this and to listen to our other great podcasts. Thanks. Thanks.